A Fine and Pleasant Misery, a book by Patrick F. McManus, and the chapter, Further Teachings of Rancid Crabtree. Graham sliced off four great slabs from a loaf of her homemade bread. She spread them with butter, piled on a couple of pounds of ham, slices of onions, pickles, cheese, and the leftovers from the previous night's supper. Then she stuffed the sandwiches in a paper bag and thrust them into my hands. But I tell you, I don't need food, I protested. Rancid's going to teach me how to live off the land. Shoot, my grandmother said, waving a butcher knife at me. That old fool don't know any more about living off the land than he does about working. Now take those sandwiches and don't give me any sass. On my way over to Rancid's cabin, I stuffed the sandwiches down the front of my shirt, hoping he wouldn't notice I was carrying contraband. What you hiding there? The old mountain man said, the instant he caught sight of me. You got a watermelon under your shirt? Nah, I answered embarrassed. Graham made me bring a couple of sandwiches in case I got hungry. Rancid hooted. Ha! That old winter woman! When's she gonna cut you loose from her apron strings and let you be a man? I don't know, I said. I told her you were going to teach me how to live off the land, but she pulled a knife and made me take the sandwiches anyway. Yup, she's a meanin' all right, Rancid said. Well, them sandwiches won't hurt nothing, and might come in handy in case we has an emergency. I should explain that Graham and Rancid were natural enemies. Graham possessed all the qualities Rancid despised in a person. She was practical, hard-working, neat, clean, methodical, and never smoked, drank, or told lies. She ain't human, Rancid often complained. Graham cl claimed that Rancid was the only person she had ever known who was totally lacking in character. By character, she meant a tendency toward work. A man could rustle cows, steal chickens, and rob banks in his spare time, and Graham would say of him, Rufus, he may have some bad ways, but I tell you this, he's a good worker. He ain't totally no good like some folks by the name of Rancid Crabtree, I could mention, but I won't. To Graham, being a good worker excused a lot of shortcomings, but it wasn't the sort of lifestyle that appealed to me at the age of 12. Since Rancid was the only person I'd ever known who hadn't once been caught red-handed in the act of holding a job, I figured he have, must have some secret, and I studied him the way other kids in school studied their arithmetic. Because he, he didn't work, Rancid always had time to give you. Not just little pinched-off minutes, but hours and days and even whole weeks. He was a fine example for a kid to pattern himself after. On this particular day, Ranson and I were going to hike back in the mountains and spend the night in the lean-to we'd build ourselves. All we would take with us is some fishing line and hooks, some twine and our knives, and it turned out the two four-pound sandwiches. The morning was one of those impeccable specimens found only in the early July in the Rocky Mountains. Particularly then, it was only the 12th July, you have known in your life. That was back in the old days before environment had been discovered, and there were only trees and blue sky and water moving, swift and clear. 
Hiking along behind the old lean woodsman, I listened to the short, soft humming of summer and paid attention to keeping my toes pointed Indian fashion as I splashed through the shallow pools of sunlight on the trail. It was a very pleasant day to start learning how to live off the land so I'd never have to work. We hiked hard for about the first hour to shake off the last lingering shards of civilization, and then slowed our paces as the trail began winding up into the mountains. Far below, down in the patchwork of fields, we could see the farmers wrestling with their hay crops, and we laughed. After a while, Rancid started giving me living off the land lessons. The first thing we had he had me do was smear my face with mud. This hair mud will keep off the mosquitoes, Rancid explained. I smeared on a copious quantity of mud, because if there was one thing in the world I was interested in keeping off, it was mosquitoes. I had heard plenty about mosquitoes. Rancid before had said they were vicious flying creatures that sometimes would swarm out of the woods and suck the blood from your body. Since I had spent a good deal of time in the woods and never seen a mosquito, I hoped they were merely a figment of Rancid's imagination. His imagination was crammed with all sorts of weird and interesting figments. If mosquitoes did exist, the mud did a job keeping them off. It even worked pretty well on mosquitoes. Another rare creature, apparently known only to Rancid, was the eagle. He pointed to a large bird circling high above the mountain peak. Look there, boy. That's a eagle. The bird was too high for me to make out any features, but in the years since, I have frequently seen high-flying birds that I assume to be eagles, so I'm pretty sure they exist. Rancid told me that eagles were so big they often carried off half-grown cows in their claws, and as a result, were not much loved by ranchers. But hell, he said, eagles got a right to live in too. Rancid had his own system of ornithological classification. There were three basic groups of birds, little birds, medium-sized birds, and big birds. A few birds were referred to by their common names, ducks, doves, grouse, pheasants, and eagles. Rancid's system of ornithology worked just well as any other, especially at identifying rare birds. What's that bird, I'd ask Rancid? That there is what you calls your little black and white bird with a red head, he would tell me authoritatively. And I never ceased to marvel how Rancid knew all the different kinds of birds. And just by looking at him, you could tell he knew what he was talking about. Along about noon, I began to feel the first pangs of hunger. I suggested to Rancid that maybe the time had come for us to knock off the nature study and start living off the land. And if it wasn't too much trouble, I'd like to take a look at the lunch menu. Rancid looked around the land. Ah, I figured we'd have a huckleberries for lunch. But they's green. And the wild raspberries should be ripe up in the meadows, though. For the time being, why don't you give me one of them sandwiches your gram packed? Who do you take me for, Mother Nature? I said angrily. You're supposed to teach me how to live off the land. Don't get your tail in a knot, Ransom said. Living off the land takes a powerful lot of thinking. And I's a thinking better if I'm a chomping on a sandwich. Now, 
What did that old widder woman fix us? We split one of the sandwiches, and sure enough, Rancid started thinking better. As soon as we gets done with lunch, we better find us some mushrooms to cook up with our game for supper. There's a berm up ahead, and we can probably find some mushrooms thar. I was a bit worried about the mushrooms since my grandmother had told me Ransom didn't know his fungi from a hole in the ground. Graham says that one good way to tell if a mushroom's ain't poisonous is to see if deer been eating them, I offered. That's the dumbest thing I ever tell of, Ransom said with disgust. Deer don't know much more than your granny does. A mushroom's a little wrinkled, pointy thing with toadstools all the rest. Deer eat toadstools all the time, and it don't bother them none. A human being eat a toadstool, and the first thing he knows, he's knocking up a pearly gate with one hand and still picking his teeth with the other. Fortunately, we were unable to find any mushrooms in the burn, although I did happen to come across a patch of little wrinkly pointy things not worth the trouble of calling to Ransom's attention. The raspberries in the high mountain meadow were ripe, as Rancid had predicted, but not especially plentiful. Nevertheless, I got a keen sense of living off the land from eating them. Rancid explained at considerable length how to pick and eat wild raspberries and seemed very pleased with himself. Lots of folks don't know wild raspberries is good to eat, he said. I personally never had encountered anyone who didn't know that they were good to eat, but I didn't say anything. Graham says even cattails are good to eat, I offered. Ha! Rancid laughed. That silly old woman. It's a wonder she's lived to be a hundred and five. Well, with all her notions about eating poisonous plants. I don't think she's that old, I said. That just show, goes to show you, Rancid said. Now don't let me hear no more of that there talk about eating cattails. Next, Rancid showed me how to set snares for rabbits, an absolute essential for anyone intending to live off the land. And although I knew the basic principle and technology of snares, I never quite understood how you induced the game to stick his head into the loop and trigger the contraption. How do you know the rabbit's going to run into the snare? I said, peering intently over Rancid's shoulder as he works. He's got a million other places to run. Well, first of all, you have to be smarter than a rabbit, he said with a chuckle. You gots to be smarter than a rabbit. Now, help, help me move these logs and rocks. What's we gonna do is funnel them old rabbit right here in the snare, you see. We dragged rocks and logs and tree limbs and brush and piled them up into one giant open-ended V that pointed up right at the snare. But the time the V was finished, both of us were so hot and tired we staggered. But I didn't complain because I was learning how to live off the land so I'd never have to work. After we had rested a while, Rancid said, Now here's what you do. You climb down behind that thicket over there and make a racket so that you drive the rabbits into the funnel. Well, how come we both don't climb down and make a racket, I asked. Because I'll have to sit on the log there and shush any rabbits that come that way back into the snare. Why can't I do that and you drive the rabbits out? Rancid thought for a moment, mopping the sweat from the face of his, with his shirt sleeve. Had you any experience in swishing wild rabbits? No. Well, there, there you are. Now get yourself down in the thicket and start making a racket. Half hour later, I emerged from the thicket. Rancid was sitting on his log, 
his elbows resting on his uh, knees, staring vacantly down at the snare. Oh, pant, one, big, big one, pant, did we catch? My ass sinking to the ground. Rance had rolled a chaw tobacco around in his cheek. Wow. All I can say is thang about these blankety-blank rabbits. They is powerful smart. What do you mean to say we didn't catch any? What would you think about chomping down some nice tender trout roasted over fire? Rance had said brightly. Don't that sound good? Early in the afternoon, we arrived at the little lake tucked away between two mountain peaks, and Rance had cut two willow poles and tied fishing line to them. Then we started looking around for the grubs to bait the hooks with. As Rance had said, you can never find a grub when you really need one. Savagely, we tore apart rotted logs looking for grubs, the essential link between us and a fish dinner. I was beginning to think working might be easier than living off the land. At last, we found a small deposit of grubs tossed them into Rancid's hat, and hurried back down by the lake. By the time we got there, the grubs were choking and gagging, but otherwise in good shape. The trout brazenly committed grand larceny on most of our bait supply, but we managed to land a couple of eight-inchers. Now I'm going to show you how to build a fa without matches, Rancid said. He made a little bow-and-stick contraption of the sort that I had seen in my Boy Scout handbook. The handbook, however, had not indicated all the good words you were supposed to say in order to get the fire going. Rancid saw the little bow furiously back and forth on the stick, the spinning of which was supposed to ignite a little pile of shavings. It was all very complicated, and Rancid sweated and panted and swore until his eyes bugged out even more than usual. At last, a little curl of smoke drifted up from the shavings, and Rancid threw down the bow, dropped on his belly, and started blowing on the shavings, whereupon the curl of smoke instantly vanished. He rolled over on his back, crumpled the bow and stick in his hands. Let that be a lesson to you, boy. Don't ever go out in the woods without a fistful of matches. That's what Graham told me, I said. She made me bring a bunch of matches, even though I told her we wouldn't be needing them. God dang, know it all, old woman. Give me one of them matches. In a second, Rancid had a fire going. His hands were shaking from exhaustion and rage as he built a little willow grill to cook our fish on, and as the flames licked around the two little trout, Rancid stared moodily into the fire. "'We gonna build a lean-to, too?' I asked. "'Don't bother about no lean-to,' he growled. He seemed to be a bit surly, so I decided not to pursue the subject. Then the two fish slipped through the grill into the fire. I stepped back, Sneaking a glance at Rancid's face, his eyes widening slightly, staring at the bits of blackened skin on the willow grill, and a tiny quiver ran the length of his lower lip. After a long moment of silence, Rancid said, We best eat that last sandwich, because we're going to need lots of energy. To build a lean-to, I asked? No, he said. So we can walk real fast. I figures if we leave, we can be back to your house in time for supper. Graham said she'd set a couple of places for us. I said, even though I tried to tell her we'd be gone all night. That old know-it-all, Rancid said. And wonder what she's fixing for supper anyhow. I sure hope it ain't gonna be a mess of poisonous cattails.